is Blacklisted News Radio, bringing you the intelligent news, information, and analysis you need to arm yourself with. Now, here's your host, Doug Owen. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Blacklisted News Radio. It is Wednesday, February 9th, 2011. And tonight, our guest is a rigorous philosopher, prolific author, and host of Free Domain Radio. He studied literature, history, economics, and philosophy at York University, holds an undergraduate degree in history from McGill University, and earned a graduate degree from the University of Toronto. He's written many, many books that you can find at his website, free of charge, at freedomainradio.com. Everyday Anarchy, Practical Anarchy, How Not to Achieve Freedom, and of course, How to Achieve Freedom. He is none other, and welcome to the show, Stefan Molyneux. Thank you, Doug. It's uh, great to be here. I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to get you onto the program because actually uh, I'm pretty familiar with the Free State Project, a lot of the things that are going on in New Hampshire. I'm a big fan of talk radio, so I listen to Free Talk Live, a lot of those guys. And, of course, uh, the event that you recently spoke at, Libertopia, uh, drew drew my attention uh, to your work, and I have been uh, going through a lot of your interviews, uh, specifically the ones with Peter Joseph talking about the Venus Project, uh, considering the glo- global economic calamity that we are headed towards, uh, many people are looking for solutions to these economic woes. And I think that when we look back historically, all the way back to uh, tally sticks, one of the things that has plagued mankind is a, an honest economy. I mean, throughout the ages, wars have been conducted because of money, and the banking systems have you know, just failed over and over again. We've seen it right here in the United States with our central banks, uh, the War of 1812, uh, on and on and on. And so, of course, the Venus Project is very alluring to a lot of the, the people that are in the, the Ron Paul movement, the conspiracy movement, all of these uh, uh, nonconformists, people that uh, do see that there's a huge problem, but there's a lot of traps. So anyway... Um, uh, I wanted to get into some of the, the topics and some of the solutions that you see in anarchy and uh, just get your uh, take on, on re- really where we're at today, uh, considering uh, you know the Middle East, this uh, global awakening, uh, or, or maybe just more of the same in your opinion or in your research, uh, and kind of uh, uh, see where we could go with this idea of anarchy. Well, I, I really appreciate that opportunity. And, you know, anarchy is one of these really difficult words because when you use the word anarchy, what happens in people's minds is it gets sent out psychologically to some distant place where usually guys, you know, idiot, young, rich, white kids in balaclavas are throwing trash cans through windows and so on. But I sort of invite people to look at anarchy not as chaos, because I think anybody who looks at the current system would say that statism is chaos, totalitarianism is chaos, and unfortunately our increasingly fascistic democracy is chaos. But anarchy, if you want to see the way anarchy works from just about everybody who's not an outright criminal, or in politics, but, I repeat myself, (laughs) um, just look in the mirror, because anarchy really is how you live. It is a way of dealing with people without subjecting yourself to a centralized authority. So when people go out in the dating scene and they want to, you know, go find somebody to to date or or mate with, they go to a bar, they go to an online dating service, they go play racquetball, they stand outside, uh, uh, you know, with a cardboard sign saying, we'll neck for food. There's lots of things that people can do, but they don't go to the government and apply for a dating permit and get assigned a dating partner. Uh, When you go to get your education, you can choose from any number of schools, any number of the government doesn't tell you, here's how you have to do it. When when you look to, uh, to get a job, you just send your resume out and the government doesn't assign you a job. So this voluntary free transaction is, is stuff that we all magically treasure in our own personal lives. But somehow when we come to this idea of society as a whole, up becomes down, black becomes white, uh, anti-gravity kicks in, and we suddenly think that everything has to be completely opposite. So where you and I and most people in the world would vigorously fight a central governmental control of anything to do with our personal lives, where we live, who we well, work, Hold right we there, Stephen. We, we have to take a quick break. More in moments sure. with Stefan Molyneux on Blacklisted News Radio. Stay tuned. And welcome back. This is Blacklisted News Radio. I'm your host, Doug Owen, and tonight joining us on the program is Stefan Molyneux. He is a philosopher. He's a prolific book writer, and you can find everything that you need to know about him, his podcast, and all the information that he brings to the table at freedomainradio.com. 
Uh, Stephanie, before the break, rudely interrupted you. You were getting into <laughs> the the idea that, uh, for the most part, uh, people uh, in everyday life we make many decisions for ourselves. And we yeah, we, we treasure yeah we treasure a lack of central authority in our personal lives, right? So when it comes to who you date, where you work, or what what career you choose, or what education you pursue, what your hobbies are, we would incredibly resist the imposition of a forcible central authority in our lives. And yet somehow, when it comes to social organization as a whole, we throw that out the window and we go back to the Stone Age and say we need to give a small group of guys all the guns in the world to make it work. And that's we'd never imagine doing that. Uh, in any other sphere of our life. So all really the anarchists are saying, at least I would assume the philosophical anarchists are saying, is that the most successful areas in our lives tend to be that which does not conform to a central, oligarchical, hierarchical, brutal, violent, throw them in jail if they disobey kind of authority. Let's just try expanding that a little, just pushing further and further that principle that works so well in our personal lives. Let's not pretend that there's some weird difference between society as a whole and what works for us individually and just try expanding the non-aggression principle, the non-initiation of force further and further out and just see if there's any place where it rationally should stop. And I think I'd argue that there is no place where it rationally should stop, and I certainly haven't been able to find one in my own life. So I just, you know, instead of thinking about anarchy like some removed, abstract, vaguely 19th century, unshaven, bad-smelling concept, just think of it as like how you live and, and what you like to do and how you like not to be ordered around. So so this is basically your idea uh, for a solution to some of the dogmas and, and the problems that we have obtaining freedom is the fact that most of us can't define where our... Uh, decisions, uh, as far as personal decisions uh, in our own lives, should start and end, and where the government's, uh, you know, uh, authority over us uh, begins. Because many people out there that that would argue against anarchy would, of course, and of course, there's so many negative connotations that are associated with anarchy itself. Just the word, people think, you know, violent kids in the streets setting buildings on <laughs> fire. I mean, and that and that's conditioning. I mean, that's why. Uh, it's bred into us. But uh, w- when we look at a lot of the things in civilized society or allegedly civilized society, uh, uh, many people would attribute these uh, roadways and the school systems and all of these these things that they don't personally want to take care of to another authority. And so sure. it, it, even, um, even in, in tribes, you kind of see uh, a government, a type of government, maybe more uh, – uh, conducive to the to what we would like to see uh, form. So, uh, you know, let's look at the current system that we have today, especially monetarily, because that's where I, I think that the root of most of the problems really drives from. And of course, it's in such relationship with government. I mean, when we talk about you know government and the economy, it's almost one and the same. Uh, right. What are what are some of these dogmas and mental blocks you think people have uh, towards anarchy and, and really obtaining freedom? Yeah, oh, look, I mean, you bring up an, uh, two, things, two excellent points. One is dogmas, the other is money. There are two things that once the government sinks its bloody vampiric fangs into, you're either going to ride straight off the Thelma and Louise cliff into fascism or you're going to ride some helium balloon up to a free society. Those two things are education and currency. Uh, once the state gets control of children and given the very short amount of maternity leave that most people are able to afford these days, the government sinks its teeth into children when they're still infants and then grabs them and subjects them to 15,000 hours of indoctrination and boredom uh, and often medication in the public school system. Uh, and, and that's sort of one catastrophe. And then when people get to be adults, what happens is they enter into this monetary system and the monetary system itself is controlled by the government. The monetary system should be entirely private. People should be able to use whatever they want for money. Money should be run by private companies uh, so that they can provide exactly what people want from currency, which is portability and non-theftability, non-counterfeit ability, not selling off grandkids into debt to foreigners. And so if you can uh, focus, I think people should focus in freedom on getting the government out of educating the children or at least trying to counter effect the effects of that kind of indoctrination and secondly educating people to the absolute totalitarian catastrophe that our currency system has devolved into where you have a bunch of 
kleptomaniac lunatics uh, in in Washington and uh, and Cairo and and uh, Ottawa and London, all over the world, a bunch of kleptocrats who can type whatever they want into their own bank accounts and sell us all like livestock down to the twelfth generation to whoever the hell they want. It is a complete catastrophe. You have to keep government out of currency. You have to keep government out of education because if it gets rid of those, if you get rid of those two things, there's no government left at all. Well, you know, and some of the other problems that come up with this idea in the minds of a lot of people. What what about the environment? Greedy, evil people like uh, Doug Owen and Stephen Molyneux want to go out there and exploit uh, the coal and the resources and the fish. We want to kill the world for profits. You know, that's what they see. And, and those are the sure. some of those mental blocks that, that I frequently come upon when I'm talking to people out there about a, a more free society. And I'm not even, you know, totally on board with uh, anarchy uh, because quite frankly, you know, some of the people that I see day to day kind of scare me. And I don't know if we I don't think they could accept these ideas because of the indoctrination, unfortunately. You know, I, I, but you this know. is but this is the astounding thing, Doug, which is that the very same people who tell me that, you know, we're all going to drown in the vacuum after peak oil and the, the rainforest is going to come to life and strangle us in our sleep. And, and uh, you know, the seas are, you know, fetid backwaters. They're like the runoff from Charlie Sheen's leg after a porn cocaine weekend. You know, they, everybody who tells me all of these things, they're the, exactly the same ones who, who have turned over the management of the environment to the government. Sure. So I always ask them, look, if it's in such a terrible state, why don't you re-examine who you've put in charge of it? I mean, if you, if you, if you, if you give someone the money to, to keep your car uh, protected and then you come back and it's, you know, it's on fire and the, the wheels are all gone, it's up on blocks, then maybe you should look at who's in charge of it. So the first thing I would say is either the environment isn't a problem, in which case we don't actually need the government to, to, to deal with it, or the environment is a problem. If the environment is a problem, let's re-examine who's been in charge of it. There's no magic that happens to people's brains or souls when they pass through that weird portal into the antimatter world of government power. Nothing changes. If people care about the environment, and I do, and you do, and anybody with kids does, we all we do, we all care about the environment. If we care about the environment in a free society, then we will make sure that we take out insurance to make sure our air is clean and that, that companies get punished. Uh, either through um, through sanctions or through social ostracism or economic ostracism for muddy, muddying up the environment. But there's nothing weird that happens. People think when you give people government power, you vote them into power, they become these noble heroes with uh, you know who just spend all day spit-shining their halos and, and turning their dross into gold. Demigods. No. Yeah, they're just people like you and I. And the worst thing that you can do with uh, people in power is to imagine that they're going to do all this virtuous stuff that can't be achieved by society as a whole. That's nonsense. And the second thing you need to do, and this is counterintuitive to a lot of people, is you need to privatize as much as humanly possible. I'm going to give you a very brief example. It won't take me more than 30 seconds. So well, We don't have it. Before, we have to take a quick break. We'll, we'll come oh, back. it's a good thing you paused me there. I'll come back with the fabulous card story in a and second. Then we'll get into the Venus Project, some of these other solutions, yeah, yeah. And, and much more. This is Blacklisted News Radio. Our guest, Stephen Molyneux. Stick around. This is Blacklisted News Radio. Stefan, in the final segment here, we got uh, about 40 minutes to go. You want to take some phone calls? Uh, I would absolutely love to chat with your listeners, sir. It's a great pleasure. All right, awesome. 1-866-841-1065. And, of course, you can find everything at blacklistedradio.com. That is the website dedicated to the show. You can find the podcast, the archives, the interactive chat room, and much more there. Of course, our great sponsors that help fund this project. We're talking with Stefan Molyneux today. And we are talking about anarchy. We're talking about uh, the, 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 some of the, I guess, societal problems that really uh, condition these dogmas, these doctrines into our minds and why it's so hard to, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, come back to common sense. You had, <laughs> you had uh, three points you wanted to bring up before the break. So uh, the floor is... Oh, I just, you know, I just wanted to mention, so like 400 years ago, Jacques Cartier, not the man who invented the watch, but some other dude, uh, he, uh, he came to Canada and, and he said you could almost walk from the boat to the shore off Newfoundland. There were so many, there were so many fish, right? It was just one of the most amazing natural harvesting grounds for fish the world has ever seen. Cod, uh, so thick you can barely see water. And this worked for about 400 years 
until the government got heavily involved in managing quotas. So what happened was the government wanted to buy votes from the fishermen, and so the government offered to raise their quotas. And uh, a few years ago, the, the stock of cod, which had lasted perfectly well under mostly private management for 400 years, 400 years, uh, has been completely gone, uh, and there's not even enough left for it to replenish, uh, replenish over time. It's gone, gone, gone. And it didn't take more than a decade and a half of government involvement. Look at the rainforest. The rainforest is being stripped because the government is selling off the timber rights with no need to replant. The government doesn't sell lands around the world to timber companies. It sells just the right to harvest timber. Well, how ridiculous is that? Because if you have a private market in land uh, for timber companies, then the timber companies who are able to make the greatest use of the resource will be able to bid the most for that. And what that means is the companies that replant and renew and sustain the use of, um, uh, of the timber lands will be the ones who bid the most for it. So you're guaranteed in a free market for, to have the wisest and most renewable use of resources. It's when the government comes in and starts buying votes with its short-sighted, nonsensical, uh, well, it's nonsensical in terms of sustainability, though it's very smart politically, just giving the greatest advantage to the, uh, to the most people who can offer it votes. Uh, and uh, that's, that's what they do. And uh, anybody who thinks it's going to be any different in a democracy simply hasn't studied the nature and history of democracy in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, well, I think one of the big problems that we have is that we've become complacent. We've really been conditioned to believe that the political leaders of the free world uh, and the third world and uh, really all over the world uh, really have no culpability to the people. There's no recourse for the evils, the atrocities that they commit, uh, that they are above the law. And that yeah. it's pretty typical to have liars, cheats, murderers, thieves, uh, you know, running your country. Uh, you know, people. Yeah, I mean, sorry to interrupt, but this is what is so astounding to me, Doug, and you run this over and over, and it's such a cognitive dissonance. You know, the people who say, well, the government should run the welfare, and the government should protect the environment, and the government should, uh, you know, slowly neck with the dolphins, and the government should caress the, extinct, the, the extinguishing catfish or whatever. The reality is, it's like, you get that this is the same institution that starts wars, right? You get that this is the same institution that has run up trillions of dollars in debt that it can't possibly pay off and shaft at the next generation. This is the same institution that sanctions the use of torture. This is the same institution, particularly in America, that has millions of nonviolent offenders, quote offenders, for imaginary crimes like drug use, in jail, incarcerated, screwed for life, it's the same dudes you're going to. There's not like evil dudes on one side of the government and good dudes on the other, and you just have to get the good dudes to beat up on the evil dudes and take it over. It's the same institution, and that's the, it's the same institution that counterfeits uh, and, and uh, destroys the poor. It's the same institution that runs the public school. It's the same institution that has built a welfare system that has trapped two generations of people in a permanent, undereducated, brain-dead underclass that they have almost no hope of getting out of. These are the people you want to save the planet? I mean, it's crazy. Stefan, everybody gets a trophy. Nobody's a loser in this society now. It's kinder and gentler. You know, the, yeah. and I think that that really does uh, transcend to politics, quite frankly. People are, well, you know, he's trying his best. You know, he might have messed up and, you know, illegally invaded two countries and, you know, killed a million Iraqis. But, you know, it's just George. He's just an idiot. It's just basic propaganda that really keeps us I mean, abused. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even let these people babysit your children. Right. You know, would you, would you let a guy who strangled a homeless guy come and babysit your kids? Well, why are you handing over your children for, for 12 years to George Bush or Barack Obama, these people who are sanctioning torture, who are extending wiretapping and intrusion into people's lives, who are running up catastrophic debts? I mean, they're thieves, they're killers, they're psychopaths. And yet it's like, here, here are my kids for 12 years because you guys are just great. Yeah, well, it, it makes no sense whatsoever, and it's really hard to justify. I mean, there's no way that, that somebody like myself or maybe even yourself can really reason with that. I try all the time, you know, and I feel like I'm, you know, talking to a, a brick wall sometimes, but I think a lot of people are getting it. And when we look at the statistical polls, we see that people are really fed up with the system and they realize that, hey, the A team and the B team are both corrupt. And so there's new teams like the Tea Party team here in the United States that are are coming about. And there's a lot of other people that are looking at these issues and trying to figure out solutions. 
And so there's a lot of things that are being uh, purported as the possible solution, one of which is the Venus Project. So uh, let's talk about the Venus Project and uh, maybe the pro and uh, cons of uh, such a system. Well, I mean, the, the, the pros are the criticisms that, that Jacques Fresco and, and Peter Joseph and uh, the people involved in the system, that the criticisms that they level at the existing system uh, are, to me, most often very accurate. When they're talking about the financial system, when they're talking about the concept of government fiat money as debt, uh, I, you know, in my opinion, I think they're bang on and more power to them. I wish I could string, uh, you know, uh, lash a jetpack to their uh, media rocket to, to give it a little extra boost. Uh, I think that stuff is fantastic. The solutions that are proposed are ludicrous. The solutions that are proposed are economically insane. They are a mad throwback to a primitive era. And, um, uh, you know, four decades after this movement has started, and which claims that a supercomputer can run all the world's resources to the benefit of everyone, uh, I'd love to see an algorithm. You know, you've had four decades to, to make speeches and make movies and, and have websites and sell T-shirts and, and hats and bumper stickers, all the while complaining about conspicuous consumption, of course. So if you've got the supercomputer algorithm that can, you know, magically meet the, the unspoken needs of six billion people around the world, let's see an algorithm. To me, it's just, it's like a business plan that says, we're going to make a lot of money. So give us everything. It's like, you know, I'd like to see a few more details than that. So uh, I, I have problems with the solution. They say that uh, it's not going to be coercive, but at the same time, they say in order for it to work, everybody has to participate. There seems to be a bit of uncertainty around those particular issues. And I'm very concerned that the people who are following the Venus Project, and I just had a two-hour debate with them on their radio, I'm very concerned about the wasted effort and wasted energies that are going into, in other words, people who might be very helpful in actually building a free society are being dragged uh, sort of slowly backwards in this pit of robot-led Marxism that has failed many times in the past, will certainly fail again in the future. And I just think we should come up with something new other than, you know, collective ownership and no private property and no profit. I mean, and, and you know, the workers unite uh, with shiny new bodies of titanium. And also, I mean, giving, <laughs> giving the robots power over everything, I mean... Haven't we all seen this science fiction movie before? I mean, don't we all know where that's going to lead at some point? If it's intelligent enough to figure out what we want even before we want it, it's sentient. It might look upon us as very useful livestock for its, I don't know, to grease its innards with. And if it's not that smart, then it's just going to be a catastrophe anyway. So that's my two cents on the movement. Yeah, well, it does seem like a crazy concept. And, of course, who are the programmers of the machine? What happens when the machine breaks? What if there is a celestial event or the, the sun puts off enough gamma rays to blow out electronics or you have an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse. You, know, you, know, you don't want all of humanity, all, you know, however many... Yeah, I mean, if I, if I can go three days without my notebook crashing, uh, then maybe I can start to think about a supercomputer yeah. running. All right, guys, world. quick break. This is Blacklisted News Radio. I'm your host, Doug Owen, and... Well, the birds have been freed from their cages. We do have the internet. We have, well, discussion, conversation, and we're talking with Stephen Molyneux here on the program tonight. We're talking about the Venus Project. And, well, you know, on its face, somebody like myself who just has a little bit of common sense and can see this system uh, really erecting and really looking at what it would be, uh, according to the Venus Project, it, it scares the hell out of me. I mean, it's, it's everything that you could think of in some sci-fi evil movie from the 60s uh, coming to fruition. Uh, you know, uh, a supercomputer uh, allocating resources and, and property or, or, you know, where you live, uh, trying to figure that all out and just, you know, uh, knowing what's best for you. This, this benevolent, uh, omnip, uh, omnipresent, uh, omnipotent uh, thing that would uh, control the world. And uh, on its face, it sounds like decent. But, uh, you know, the big problem, and I have uh, the same problem I think you do, is that these types of movements, uh, uh, no matter how absurd they may sound on their face, they keep people in arrested development. And you have a lot of people that spend time trying to figure out if they want to get on board with said project. So before you know it, it really just becomes this uh, huge waste of time. And at the end of the day, it's centralized government. I mean, haven't we learned anything yeah. in the 20th century about centralized government? Has anybody died 
in the, or have there been more enough people died? Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the issue I have with, and this is not specific to the Venus Project, but this is socialists in general, um, <clears throat> socialists and Marxists. The issue that I have is, look, there's a lot of impressionable young people out there who've not been taught anything about economics or critical thinking or philosophy and so on. And I think the first thing that responsible thinkers in the world should do is not give people solutions. The important thing, if you're a thinker and you want the world to improve, is to teach people how to think, not give them neatly wrapped up in a bow solutions, because that bypasses them actually having to think critically and learning how to think and coming up with their own solutions. So my concern is that you've got a whole bunch of socialists, and the Venus Project is in there, who go to impressionable young people who don't know how to think critically, who have never studied economics, who've never studied philosophy, and they say to them, you know, if you go and get a job, you're being exploited. You know, the profit system is ripping you off. Uh, the accumulation of any kind of wealth is parasitical, and, and if, you, if, you, if you buy a car, you're, you might as well be driving it over the toes of Romanian orphans or whatever. And they, they basically fill people who are young and impressionable and potentially just about to start out on their careers with a fear and hatred of even the vestiges of the free market system that we have. I think that is pretty destructive. I think that's very destructive. I think that a lot of people who could have successful careers, who could uh, achieve some sort of wealth and independence and, and get all of the goodies that come from that in terms of your ability to make a positive difference in the world, to be benevolent, to be philanthropic and so on. A lot of people who are stuck in crappy jobs aren't being encouraged to, to work within the remains of the free market system, to build up resources, to build up professionalism, to build up contacts, to build up skills in communication, in writing, which you can all do in the business world. Instead, what they're being told is that the entire system is out to screw them, that there's no hope, uh, that, uh, that participation in the system is, is to participate in corruption. And I think that's kind of preying on the futures of young people, rather than just teaching them how to think, rather than teaching them how to reason, rather than teaching them how to question, it just gives them a whole bunch of resentful and hopeless answers, which I think cripples a lot of their potential. And I think there's a lot to answer from people who put these kinds of centrally planned solutions out there and raise and stoke people's resentments about the remaining freedoms that we have. I think they have some stuff to answer for because I think it cripples a lot of people who otherwise might, with some encouragement, launch themselves into some significant success at every level. Sure, you know, and I talk about the conspiracy movement a lot here because you know I, I'm I'm definitely a conspiracy theorist to, to the to the T. I'm the ultimate skeptic. I don't believe the lies that the government tells me, and you know, by proxy, you're a conspiracy theorist, even if it's something you read in the London Guardian. It really doesn't matter. But uh, one of my big contentions is that people feel. Uh, really, I, I guess, uh, paralyzed by some of the information, looking at some of the things that government is doing, and that in turn puts them into an arrested development state. So, you know, looking back to the 1980s, people that were worried about the United Nations dropping troops in this country, uh, rather than trying to accumulate wealth, do things in their community, going out voting with their dollars, you know, uh, trying to be, uh, you know, part of the solution. You know, they just ran to the hills and, and have been waiting there ever since with their, uh, you know, wind up radios. And, you know, I think the Venus Project does something of the, the similar uh, like there as far as keeping people in arrested development. And there's a lot of these uh, different uh, systems. So uh, in your assessment, how do we achieve freedom? How do we go forward? How do we uh, put together a system that uh, most people can get on board with? Well, it's, it's, it's all about what you can do in your personal life. To hell with society as a whole. It doesn't even exist. There's nothing but aggregations of individuals. If you try to save the world, you end up just wasting your time spinning your wheels in a canyon that nobody can see. What we need to do, Doug, is we need to passionately communicate about freedom and about peace and about voluntarism in our personal relationships. It's the evangelical of your arm's length. That's, that's really what we should, we shouldn't be shouting uh, at, uh, uh, you know, masses. We should be speaking softly and persistently to the individuals in our lives. I say that as the positive. What I also say is that if we truly believe in the non-aggression principle, and there are people in our lives who, even after patience and reason and explanation and curiosity and persistence, who still, after many months, continue to advocate the use of force against you and against me, because that's what people are doing when they're talking about the state. What they're talking about when they talk about the state is they're talking about, if you disagree with me, 
about how I think society should be run, I sanction and encourage the use of goons in blue costumes to come kick down your door and drag you off and kidnap you and imprison you. That's what people who talk about the state are doing. I don't have people like that in my life. If they won't give up their addiction to violence against me, not some impersonal thing like a law somewhere on a book because it's always a gun pointed at someone somewhere. That's all the state is, is someone pulling out a gun, not in self-defense, sticking it in somebody else's face and saying, do it or else. And so what I say is, look, if we're going to really be true to these ideals of, of peace and voluntarism, we have to have those tough conversations with the people who remain addicted to the use of violence in our lives and say, look, if you want people to throw me in jail, if you want guns to be pulled and pointed at me just for disagreeing with you about how society should be run, I don't think we could be friends anymore. I'm very sad about that. It breaks my heart, but I cannot sanction somebody who sanctions the use of violence against me. I have too much pride and too much faith in my ideals to accept that. That is a very powerful thing to do. That gets people right up against what they're really talking about when they're talking about governments and laws and incarcerations and taxation and debt. They're talking about violence. Unless we make it real for people, they'll never have a chance to get out from under it. Well, we also have stakeholders, people that are invested, invested in the system, and they stand to benefit from the state. I mean, unfortunately, here in the United States, uh, you look at the statistics, we have probably 60 to 70 percent of the population that is somehow subsidized by government. Now, sure, you and I... Yeah, that's why voting's never going to work, and voting's never going to work because there are too many people being bribed. I mean, you can't, you can't beat them. I mean, it didn't work in Rome, it didn't work in the Ottoman Empire, it didn't work under Bismarck's Germany. It, you know, once you get enough cattle dependent on the farmer, you can never get rid of the farm, sure. at least uh, through any political measure. Sure, and, and, and the farmer becomes really the, the father. It becomes your, your, your custodian, your guardian, and, and that's really what the state is. In my, uh, uh, well, sorry, let me just, uh, I just throw another angle in there for you. In my experience, uh, it is not the farmer who attacks me for talking about freedom. It's all my fellow livestock who attack me. Because once, once you get enough people dependent on the farmer, once you get enough cows who need the farmer to survive, the moment somebody says, maybe we should not have a farmer, they all panic and attack whoever says that, right? So once you get enough people dependent on the government, anyone who starts talking about real freedom gets set upon like, you know, a, a minnow in a shark tank. It's, uh, it's not pretty, but that's the way it is. And then the cattle are basically giving the farmer guns. Here, shoot, shoot the, these other cattle. They're starting problems over here. They're, they're Yeah, they're threatening <laughs> my livelihood from your table. Yeah. You know, if I'm only, if I've adapted to exist off the crumbs of your table and people say let's all be free uh, that threatens my whole existence now the reality is of course if the farmer were gone we'd have about you know a week of confusion and then everything would be great but uh, people don't want to take that chance and uh, so yeah i mean there's there's too much you know it, it's not just this the state is not the politicians this, the politicians are only in effect the politicians in the state and the military and the police and the prison system all of that is a mere effect of the most simple thing in the world, which is our willingness to attack each other for talking about freedom. All they do is feed off the self-horizontal policing of the slaves. There are no cages. Uh, people aren't sitting there putting guns at my head every day. But what actually happens is we are willing to attack each other for talking about freedom. And because of that fear, the state grows. Yeah, I, I couldn't put it better myself. All right, we're going to get into... Uh, voting with your dollar, the corporations, and um, the utopia that Stephen Molyneux could see in a, in a free society. On the other side of this quick commercial break, stick around. This is Blacklisted News Radio. You like the bumper music there, Stefan? That's <laughs> pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> little descendants there. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but punk rockers can get away with saying it all. Uh, they, they, for some reason, it, it's easily dismissed. Dismissed. I don't know. Muse. There's there's a lot of bands out there that have a lot of uh, political and anti new world order and and free market perspectives, uh, and even dare say anarchy uh, in uh, their music. <laughs> Plenty of it. We play anti flag, and uh, they are hardcore uh, anarchist. 
so they proclaim anyway. Uh, we're talking with Stephen Mullineau here on the program. one 1065 is a toll-free number to join us on air. If we get some calls, uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen will uh, hang out with us. Uh, he definitely wants to uh, hear from you guys out there. Post questions. I mean, anarchy. We're talking about you know some of the things that are pretty taboo. And, and I know that uh, we could probably get into some really controversial topics here, like the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and how you view those. And uh, that would definitely <laughs> get some callers. Why, why don't we go there? <laughs> Sorry, go Let's pull the curtain back for the listeners there, Stefan. Uh, we're, we're you know looking at uh, anarchy versus statism versus what we have today, which is kind of a incestuous relationship between uh, the, 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 the stakeholders, the energy syndicate, the uh, bankster gangsters, the federal government, which gives these systems legitimacy. And I think that that's really the root of the, the issue is that through our uh, status views, we believe that the IRS is legitimate and can take our taxes. Why? Because the state gives them that authority. And so it's that that relationship that most people have with their country, their, their, their patriotism, which really uh, uh, enslaves them. And I know that's yeah. to, you know, kind of a, um, um, a colorful way to describe it, but I, I truly believe that. L- let's talk about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, some of the issues that we have here in the United States, because people want that back or uh, this perceived notion of what what it was in the good old days. We want the good old days back. Everybody wants to kind of regress back to this uh, day where, you know, people wore wigs and it was a very patriotic time. And, uh, you know, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, is the U.S. model, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the, the laws of the land, is that the right model or is that just another uh, flawed system? Oh, come on. I mean, uh, I think it's important to look at the empirical facts of U.S. history, not what was written about it by the victors. And the U.S. history, uh, it began with the genocide and slavery, and it has ended with a collapsing economy and imperialism. Uh, this is not what anybody would consider a successful system. The only, the, the only degree to which the U.S. system has been successful is the degree to which it has cause the government to retreat and let people actually be free. So I'll, I'll give you a very brief, uh, not such a brief metaphor. Okay, so let's say you're, a, you're, you're sick, you've, you've got a tumor, mm-hmm. right? And you, you go to two doctors, and one of them is called Dr. Minarchist or Dr. Small Government or Dr. Constitutionalist. And one of them is called, and this is a great name for a villain, although he's actually the hero of the story, one of them is called Dr. Anarchist. Mm-hmm. So you go to Dr. Minarchist, and Dr. Minarchist says, okay, look, uh, we're going to have to cut out huge sections of your body. We're going to have to put you through horrible radiation treaty, uh, radiation treatment. And uh, then with any luck, your, your tumor should go down. And you'd be like, oh, okay, can't you just cut it out? No, 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 no. We can't cut out your tumor. That would just be terrible. That would, just, that would be anarchy. We can't cut out your cu- tumor called the state. We've just got to shrink it. And it's like, well, what happens after you shrink it? Well, after you shrink it, it regrows and it regrows, and it regrows, and eventually it's going to threaten your life again. And then we'll bring you in here again, and we'll do this horrible, we'll call it a revolution, uh, although it's really just spinning around rather than changing anything, and we're going to give you more chemotherapy, and we're going to give you more drugs, and we're going to cut you open again, and we're going to shrink your tumor down. And then it's going to grow again, and it's going to grow again. And then you go over the street, you go to Dr. Anarchist, and Dr. Anarchist says, oh, you've got a tumor? Let's take the mother out. Let's just take it out. And why should we take out your tumor? Because it's always going to regrow. So we just take it out. You go back to Dr. Minicus, you say, listen, the anarchist guy says uh, he could just take the tumor out. It's not going to grow back. Dr. Minicus says, uh, no, 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 it's okay. Well, let's try this. Okay, what we do is we're going to cut you open, put you in chemotherapy. You're going to get really sick. We're going to cut you open. But then when we've got you open and we've cut away a whole bunch of the tumor and we've left a certain amount, what we're going to do is we're going to get a little felt-tip marker. See, and we're going to... We're going to write on your tumor, and we're going to write, don't grow back. And we're going to do it in sort of florid, florid kind of calligraphy so it looks really official. And we call that a constitution. Uh, and uh, you say, well, how many times has that worked in the past? Oh, it's never worked. It's never worked. But we like the lettering. And that's the reality. The state always grows back. The logic of state expansion, the state is free evil for anybody who wants it because it's evil where you get to externalize the cost of the general population and they're helpless to resist. So instead of going back to Dr. Minarchist and, and getting this tumor reduced with these horrible revolutions every single time, like what we see happening in Egypt at the moment, how about you just take out the tumor? Take out the tumor because you know it's always going to grow back. There's no possibility that it ever won't grow back, and the worst thing is, the smaller the tumor starts out, the bigger it ends up. 
because the smaller the tumor starts out, the more free market productivity you have, the more economic growth you have, the more wealth is generated, and therefore the more the government can tax and grow and expand. So it's no accident that the freest economically, one of the freest countries in history, which is America in the late 18th and 19th centuries, it's no accident that one of the most economically free countries in the world has now produced the largest, most gargantuan government the world has ever seen. Because freedom breeds tyranny as long as you still have the state. It is what metastasizes the cancer and causes it to grow. We just have to not have this cancer called the state and recognize it's always going to grow back. Dr. Minarchist is wrong. Let's go to Dr. A. Well, I, and, you know, I don't disagree with you. I, I think there are, you know, fundamental problems in thinking that it, we are going to have aristocrats that just write laws. And, you know, for the most part, the government has always been above the law. The, the, you know, it's selective enforcement. And we see it all the time and saying, OK, well, it's smaller government. Uh, I think people like that idea because they view government as the provider of roads, the provider of the military that keeps us safe because, God knows we have messed with enough people around the world. We have resources here in the United States. So, uh, you know, if we just uh, decided one day, let's just get rid of the government. Let's get rid of NASA. Let's get rid of uh, uh, the military industrial complex. You know, we're basically putting our, our butts up in the air. And it, it, no, no, no. I don't, I don't think, think that's, that's true. true. Because, because, look, I have no problem with there being NASA. I have no problem with there being a military. Let's just not pull out guns and force people to pay for it. That's all I'm saying. I mean, look, if, if, if people think that, you know, dweebs playing the big rockets is the coolest thing ever, fantastic. You know, write them a check. If, if, if you think that, that, that uh, I don't know, I mean, if you think that the, uh, one company should, should run all the roads, great. Pick a company and write them a big fat check. If you love the way that the welfare system works at the moment, then let's privatize all of that sort of stuff. And if you like it, write them a check. But don't force me to support things that I consider predatory and monstrous and immoral and destructive. I care about the poor. I mean, I came from a brutally poor background, and uh, I really care about the people who got left behind. I really care about the people who are trapped in the state welfare system. So don't force me to support that which I think is destroying the poor. I really care about the tender and eager minds of children. Don't force me to pay for a system that puts them into a fine spaghetti paste through a horrible strainer called indoctrination. I care about the environment, so don't force me to subsidize a government that destroys every piece of environment. Do you ever want to find the greatest pollution in the world? Look at government lands. Look at what the army leaves behind. Look at, look at, government, producti uh, uh, look at government production facilities. Look at the Soviet Union had the most environmental regulations in the world and left entire lakes filled with fiery sludge. Sure. I just don't want to be forced to support things that I consider immoral. I grant that right to everybody else. I demand that right for myself. Sure, and I think uh, fundamentally to a, to a certain degree, I mean, we have lots of people that think, hey, I shouldn't have to pay school taxes because guess what? I don't have children. And, and, I, th and I can get on board with that. I think that uh, most people would uh, uh, argue... Uh, well, I, uh, 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 No, you should not have to pay school taxes because the initiation of force is immoral. Sure. And so people should not come after you with guns to force you to pay whether you have kids or not. doesn't matter whether you have kids or not. I, I think it's just the, the initiation of force. Well, I think the argue, argument most skeptics would have, uh, Stefan, is the fact that uh, rather than the individual's right, and this is, this is really the root of it, I believe, it, 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 it's about the collective, it's about the state, it's about the community. You know, the, the new thing now is communitarianism. You know, it, it's about the state yeah. being bigger than the individual. So, you know, yeah. uh, most people would say, well, you know, we need roads. Okay, and we have a quick break, but I'll, and, and I'll, I'll uh, let you answer on the other side. You know, we need yeah. roads. Not everybody would volunteer to pay for those roads, and they would want to use them as well because we have an entitlement society. So how do you fix dilemmas like that when we talk about anarchy? We'll get Stefan's comments and yours. Rolling in hour two, 1-866-841-1065. Locked and loaded for hour two. It is Wednesday, the ninth day of February 2011. Stefan Molyneux is our guest. We're talking about anarchy. I cannot believe that there aren't more people on the call board tonight uh, calling me out for being a, a total un 
patriotic person for bringing somebody like you, a, a social deviant, Stephen Molyneux, onto the program here to talk about <laughs> such taboo topics. Uh, we got Rob in Canada. We got or Rob in New York, bored in Canada. You can be part of it as well. One eight six six eight four one ten sixty five. Toll free number one eight six six eight four one ten sixty five. Let's go to the phone lines here. Rob in New York, you're live. Hey, how you doing, Doug? Good, sir. What's on your mind? Nothing. I was just hoping I could have a quick dialogue with your pal, Stefan. Stefan, it's a pleasure to make your acquaintance. Very nice to meet you, too. What's, uh, what can I do for you? Well, um, I was just listening to a lot of the stuff that you had to say. I do have to admit that you know, you're incredibly correct about this, uh, the term anarchy having a negative incantation to it as opposed to the philosophy that you're presenting. Unfortunately, I, I'm painfully unfamiliar with your work, but there were a couple of things that you were mentioning that I can agree with. What I wanted to ask is, you know, in order to get your message or your philosophy out there to a wider audience, why not change the negative incantation? Why not change the word from anarchy to something that would be more kindred and thus making people more receptive to be able to accept the ideas, kind of bringing down the mind's firewall. Because, I mean, it, it could have the same type of an incantation as, uh, like, oh, how people would think of, like, oh, Satanism and Anton LaVey. Now, if you've ever had any experience with Anton LaVey, I, you know, I haven't had any personal, a couple of his things here and there, and he just basically talks about, you know, just being a nonconformist, very similar to anarchy. The problem is that there was just such a strong negative incantation with the word that a lot of people, myself included, initially rejected almost automatically the work that he presented based on that. So I was right. wondering about your you know, thoughts on that, if you had any. No, listen, I mean, it's a, it's a discussion that's come up many times over the years, and I think you raised a, 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 a brilliant point. And uh, I'll tell you what my thought is it. Uh, I certainly try not to describe myself as an anarchist because that is to categorize myself by a conclusion. And I think that's not a reasonable thing to do. Like, a, a good physicist doesn't say, I'm an Einsteinian uh, or a Newtonian. He just says, I'm a physicist and I accept that Einsteinianism is valid and Newtonianism is, is valid in, in limited uh, circumstances. So, I mean, I categorize myself as a philosopher because I reason from first principles uh, using as much uh, evidence and rationality as I can get my, my hands on. And I accept that uh, anarchism or um, the non-initiation of force at a social level. All, all, all anarchism is, is to say that what's wrong for you and I is wrong for everyone. That's all anarchism says. That if it's wrong for you to steal, and it's wrong for me to steal, which I certainly accept and, and believe that it is, then it's wrong for people to steal. And if you relabel something like theft and call it taxation, that doesn't make it any more valid. If you, uh, if, if you relabel something called murder and you call it war, that doesn't make it any more valid. So uh, that's all anarchism is. Now, I recognize that it's got all these negative connotations. The reason that I continue to use the word is, and other words have been proposed, like voluntarism and stuff like that, is that the, the first thing that happens is people will say, well, how is that different from anarchism? And then you kind of have to say, well... It's not. I'm just being manipulative. <laughs> I, I, sort of wanna, I just want to be upfront and say, look, uh, I recognize the word has negative connotations, but there's just no better way to describe it, and I'm not going to pretend it is something else. Candid. I, I like that, Stefan. Non-coercive government action. Anarchy, voluntarism, there's a lot of terms. It's the idea of the government not aggressing or forcing you to do something that you don't want to. You being the individual, not having to be extracted for every dime to pay for things that you don't want. It's a crazy concept, and many people think it's unpatriotic, and it's not that uh, I don't love this country. I do. But I do not believe that the United States of America is a boundary that was written up by a bunch of rich guys and a bunch of laws that they don't pay attention to anyway. I believe it's the people of this region, of this this continent, of this area. And yeah, I know what you know. Some of the problems that people see when you start going down, I guess, the path towards anarchy, and that is the exploitation of of, of evil corporations that have become just monolithic and, and 
mega powered. They're bigger than governments themselves and how we, you know, really, um, you know, cut them loose and let them die as they should because we do have government regulation. Yeah, no, that's right. We do. No, I mean, I, I give you a very brief example of that. Uh, the, the pharmaceutical lobby in the United States uh, spent, uh, I don't know, uh, ten, a couple of tens of millions of dollars influencing legislation recently that got them many billions of dollars in government contracts. Sure. Now, wh- whether you like it or not, that the logic of the free market when united with predatory state fascistic corporatism is that any CEO who did not invest a few tens of million dollars to reap many billions of dollars of return would simply be fired. I mean, because, uh, you, you know, th- this is where the money is. The government is a giant money hose and businesses like to make money. Now, if you get rid of the government as the giant money hose, then business will stop being money hose in a slightly <laughs> different uh, different well, sense, well, right? Think about it. I mean, common sense says, okay, well, if the government isn't telling you every day that you need a vaccine, okay, that you need whatever it is that uh, Pfizer is or providing. Or 10 million U.S. kids every day on these ridiculous uh, uh, psychotropic meds that have no medical validity whatsoever. Well, those corporations like Pfizer, I mean, yeah, you know, people do want to get a Woody, and they probably do get in that market, but they wouldn't be, you know, uh, you know, pumping your kids full of psychotropic drugs. It's the power of the state that forces and mandates your children to be on them. Otherwise, you're going to get your door kicked in by the CPS and uh, maybe have your children yeah, taken it, from you. I mean, that's if the, the problem. If the, if the government is the giant source of money, corporations are going to go and uh, and do business with the government. There's no, I mean, I was in business. I was an entrepreneur for 15 years, we did some contracts with the government because we needed to stay in business. And if we didn't, our competitors did. And then they made more money and they were able to do more R&D and they were able to get other benefits. That So in order to be a responsible businessman in this crazy messed up system that we have, you have to do business with the government. There's just no doubt about it. And if, if you're a big enough company, then you have to influence the government through bribery, uh, through through lobbying, through campaign donations, and so on, and it's not ideological because most companies give just about equal amounts to both uh, of the parties in the U.S. because they they know that these guys hold the power of life and death through regulation and licensing and laws over the success or failures of businesses. So let's not confuse the mafia with the people who are the mafia's tailors and say, "Aha! The real problem is the tailors who are suiting up the mafia." No, no, no. The problem is the mafia. But you get rid of the mafia, and then these guys will just change to doing business to guys who aren't armed. You know, uh, well, and, sure. I mean, Halliburton and, so and all these companies would go out of business if there wasn't people that needed to die, and the government couldn't extract money from you or just print their own money out of thin air, or just uh, you yeah, know, run insane deficits. Imagine if each and every person actually got direct taxation from the government for the war on terror. <laughs> people would not be that scared of terrorists. They'd, they'd start realizing, hey, I, I'm, I'm less likely to die in a terrorist accident than I am driving around on Highway 35 tonight. Uh, maybe I should be worried more about that. So anyway, uh, let's go to Rob. Sorry, let me just uh, one more thing. Sure. Uh, very, very quickly. Like, just so people remember, there's, there's a giant shadow, there's a giant statue of evil called the government, and it casts a big long shadow right and the shadow is all the effects of all of that violence and let's not confuse the shadow and say well if we get rid of the the statue the shadow will still be there no 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 no. if you get rid of the cause of violence which is all of this government predation most of the effects of violence will vanish as well and let's not confuse the two but sorry go ahead no sure uh i just want to go back to, uh, to rob oh actually uh I think I turned the call board off. I <laughs> muted myself. Guys, call back in one eight six six eight four one ten sixty five, and we'll bring you up on the phone here. I uh, just accidentally hung up on myself. Shall I just uh, pretend to be uh, a caller? Or a Steph, you're so sexy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Let me let me try that again. Me 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 me. Steph, bold is beautiful. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm still trying to work on that voice, but uh, something like that. Yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, that might be, uh, you know, uh, very indicative <laughs> of the people that call into the program for you. I don't know. Uh, let's go to Board in Canada. Board, you're live. What's going on, Doug? How you doing? Doing well, sir. Good, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm very, uh, very good show tonight. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you brought this guest on. I've heard him uh, talk before. He's got some very interesting points, a lot of stuff... Uh, I can agree with. Um, nice to uh, have you on there, Mr. Molyneux. Um, Thank you so much. I got a question for you. We've been chatting around in the chat room, and a lot of people can agree with a lot of points that you're saying, but one uh, point that keeps coming up is it may be something I missed. I didn't catch the first uh, half hour of the show, um, but a, a subject that, uh, that kept getting brought up was um, the privatization of control, like People agree with, uh, you know, uh, your ideas of, uh, you know, changing the system and whatnot, but 
they keep bringing up they don't agree with having a private company or some sort of private control. Could you uh, expand more on that? Am I totally off sure. topic here? No, no. Listen, this is this is one uh, probably the number one concern, and I I think it's a perfectly sensible, healthy, and rational concern. It's a great, great point to bring up. I'm just going to keep describing how good a point it is to bring up, and then hope hopefully we'll move on to another caller. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'll do my best to answer it, and again, I'll try and keep it brief. <laughs> Look, mo- most people who who live in this world, in this decaying orbit of of economic destruction that we're currently locked in, most of us. Are our employees? We're not, you know, maxi entrepreneur capitalist gods with monocles and and gold dogs uh, yipping after our heels. We're employees, and so what happens is when you're an employee, particularly when you're an employee in an uncertain economic situation, which has been the U.S. for the last generation and a half, I would say, since the '70s when real wages began to decline, you feel precarious and you feel subjected to the whims and power of your boss, and so. We feel awkward and we feel uncertain and we feel like we can't say no to our bosses because there's 10 other guys who'll take our job and we feel like we're hanging by a thread and it's, it's nerve wracking and it's scary. And so what happens is when you hear some lunatic like me come along and say, let's privatize everything, people translate what it's like being a corporate serf in a fascistic state mercantilist economy, being a corporate surf and say, well, what, does this lunatic want more of that? I mean, I'm already scared enough of my boss. Does he want everyone to be my boss now? And I think that's completely understandable, but it's not the way that things will work in a free market. Well, I, I a think that market, a lot of people sorry, really, uh, quite honestly, maybe bored and some of the people in the chat room, I haven't had a chance to really monitor it during the show, uh, look at uh, the idea of a private police force. And say, okay, well, let's say uh, the state of Texas or the area of Texas, whatever it may be, uh, we we ha- we we contract with uh, Blackwater to provide security because you know we want our property secure so that way we, we can freely travel, we can go out and uh, and commerce and uh, you know vacation and, and and all the things that you would want in a free society. Well, let let's just say that once this corporation we, we give them the contract, they become so big that they start. Uh, going out and uh, yeah, yeah. you know uh, beating up the people and taking right. their money. We've got a new government now, right? right. We've got a new government that has no culpability or accountability to us whatsoever. Sure. Quick break, Great guys. Question. Board. Uh, we'll get back to you. You can bring up more comments. Rob in New York's back, and of course, Michael. One eight six six eight four one ten sixty five is the toll free number to get you up and on air. Final segment with our guest Stephen Molyneux. His website freedomainradio.com. You can find out everything. He's got all of his books there for free. You can also buy print versions. I think the the host of them was seventy four ninety five something like that uh, for all. Yeah, you can get a you can get a package, but you know people should just read the PDF. So there's very few people who want the hard copies anymore. But if you want them, they're certainly uh, certainly available. Yeah. I'll, so can, can I take a swing at this uh, this private uh, defense agency question? Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things I, I think that, that that most people have a contention with when we talk about things like anarchy is is the idea of having a police force. You know, most of us agree right. that we need some control. There has to be some rule of law that there are evil, bad people out there that do need to be put away. How do you do that in a, in a voluntaristic system where only people that want to participate pay for things like highways, governmental systems, maybe not, you know, centralized, but a privatized system? Yeah. How do those things, uh, you know, how do we have a, an equitable solution for all? Well, look, I mean... Roads, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like we, we, can't, we can't be free and we have to live with war and torture because of tarmac, you know. But this, roads, roads in the U.S. Were, were private long before the government came along and they worked a heck of a lot better. And if you compare the government railroads with the private railroads, and Tom DeLorenzo has written about this quite a bit, uh, there's lots more efficiencies than the private railroads. Uh, so uh, let's not worry about transportation. That's not why we can't be free. I, th- sure. I think the question about uh, the police is very good. So let me, let me put on <laughs> – maybe I should do it in the voice of the guy who just did the commercials. <laughs> But let me pretend, you know, that I am trying to sell my services to you as a police agency, let's say. Um, and, and by the way, there's going to be like 50 or 100 companies all trying to provide the safest and cheapest and most efficient and best 
protection of your property. And most of that is going to be around prevention rather than cure, right? So people would rather stuff not get stolen rather than stuff uh, get returned to them possibly. So what I would do is I'd sort of sit down with you and say, listen, I want to offer you my police protection. And you'd say, well, how, you, how do I know you're not going to take all my money and go and buy 12 million black helicopters with sharks with laser beams for pilots and, and then take over my whole family and send me to the salt mines in Kessel? And I'd say, well, look, I get that question a lot, and here's what we're going to do for you. Uh, first of all, we are going to set aside $10 million in escrow, which means that it's, we can't touch it. Right. And, uh, and anybody who finds that we are buying one bullet more than we say or one gun more than we say uh, gets $10 million. So there's a huge incentive for anybody who finds that we're messing about and trying to build an army together. Uh, and that's the first thing. And, and if you don't want to do that, then we're going to set another $10 million aside and we're going to pay a company who's completely independent of us and whose CEO gets the $10 million and they come and audit us every single month and they make sure that we're not accumulating too many weapons and so on, right? Right. So uh, these are just off the top of my head. But the reason I brought up being a corporate surf before is that having been an entrepreneur myself, I was chief technical officer at a software company for a large number of years. When we're going out and try and sell people, we, as the entrepreneurs, we have to overcome the skepticism and indifference and inertia of our potential customers. So we have to go out and make ourselves so attractive, and we have to deal with every customer's concerns, and we have to reassure them that we're going to do what they want, and they're going to be happy with their service. And by the way, they get a money-back guarantee if after the first year they're not happy with how we're protecting their property, and they can cancel at any time, and we'll pay them if we make a mistake. And you know, whatever we have to do as an entrepreneur to get you to, to sign up to our protection business with 50 other guys competing out there to do a better job than us, we, the first thing we're going to address and the first thing we're going to deal with to the satisfaction of our customers is the question of accumulating weapons and becoming another state. There's lots and lots of ways to overcome that. Right. And I would invite people to remember that the, the companies of the future are not going to be like the state-sucking, military-industrial, corporate monsters of the present. You as an employee will have much more power and authority. There will be much more demand for labor because the economy will be free. And so you won't feel like a trembling, indentured servant hanging like a thread over an abyss of economic destruction. It's not going to be like that in the future. You'll have much more confidence in everybody who wants to sell you any kind of like national defense or local defense or police or security or health or they're all going to have to work like crazy to get your business and overcome your objections and if they don't overcome them there'll be a guy next who's coming in five minutes who will do his best to overcome them and at some point that's going to be satisfying to people sure okay uh, i think that's a great retort let's go to michael in uh one of the female regions what's up michael hey guys how you doing uh Love your show, Doug. You want to say hi to everybody in the chat room. Uh, Mr. Molyneux, I appreciate your points, and, and I really appreciate you being honest about uh, the anarchist label and, and, and explaining it the way you did. That really puts a uh, – it gives it a better, a better face. I agree with you on that. But uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about your privatization of, of services. I don't think that's going to work in the United States. And as a matter of fact, I think it's actually – quite the opposite of what could work in the United States, because we'd end up more like uh, Germany post the Weimar uh, Depression and right at the beginning of, of Hitler's time, I feel. I think we would have something like, say, maybe the TSA, which is, is completely incompetent and aggravates everybody and makes people really mad. And maybe public sentiment rises up enough, so in comes Blackwater to become professionals and do it. Wouldn't that be sort of like the SS and the SA in Nazi Germany? I don't think the the private armies really would take off. Not under our system. We're just a little too corporately controlled. Great, great, great points, Michael. Uh, Stefan. Well, um, I think that you would have a tough time maintaining the argument that Germany in the 1930s suffered from a deficiency of government. Uh, you had massive expansions in, in power uh, under Hitler. You had uh, the, the dissolution of the Reichstag. You had uh, the extension of emergency powers, the right of arbitrary detention. You had the setup of concentration camps. You had the beginning of the harassing of the Jews and the gypsies and the homosexuals and the intellectuals. You had uh, a theft of gold from the banks, uh, you know, which I'm not always against <laughs> if it's by the people as a whole. But uh, it, what, this is an example of more and more government. That was an example, wasn't an example of privatization. In fact, Hitler nationalized vast sections of the industry 
in order to prepare it for the war footing that he wanted to pursue. So I don't think that's a fair example about what would happen when things get privatized. I think that's an example of what happens, as always happens, which is that the state continuously grows, which is why we simply can't have it around. Right. Uh, 435 area code. Didn't have a chance to screen the call. You are live, sir, or ma'am. Hey, uh, Stefan. I was just wondering, uh, in the midst of all, you know, the uh, community that we kind of live in as anarchists and freedom lovers and, and uh, conspiracy theorists, where do you come down on the, the conspiracy theorist side? You know, I, uh, Zeitgeist has it right when they talk about the fiat currency and things like that, but what about the 9-11 type of stuff? You know what I mean? Like the, the evidence that they pre- present, not just them, but, but others. Right. Look, I... <clears throat> I don't get too much involved in the in that sort of stuff, and not because I don't think there's value in it or not because I don't think it's valid. I mean, it's not fundamentally a philosophical question, but my concern is that I think, like, when I was growing up, it was the JFK assassination. That was the big thing, and my history teacher board and guys who presented it, and we got all hot and bothered. And what did all of that add up to? Right. What did, what did the billions of hours that activists spent trying to figure out the JFK murder, what did that solve? And, and think of the, you know, we've had 10 years now of people working themselves into a, a you know, a face-exploding frenzy about 9-11. What has it gotten us? I would say let's forget about each individual instance of state crimes, of which there are just so many. It doesn't matter. Let's look at the basic principle of should we allow the initiation of force to be at the center of how we run society. Do we ever think that human beings will ever be able to exercise that kind of monopoly of financial and military and police power without becoming corrupted by it? What they do with that power is always going to be immoral in the long run. So let's throw away each individual instance of it and look at the big picture and the principles behind it. Stephen Molyneux, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I definitely want to have you back on the program, but we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for the listeners. It was a great, uh, great show. Thank you. All right, Stephen, we'll, uh, we'll stay tuned with you and, and bring you back on when you have time.